Pastor Carl came back from the Philippines, and we are all in on compassion. And thank you for allowing us to spend last week talking about compassion. And as a result of that, over 450 kids were adopted by this church. That is an amazing number. I need, I need some room to roam. We have, what was that? What? Oh, yeah. Frank, who is one of my dearest friends. You know, in this church, I have been here for 26 years. 20, I've been on staff for 26 years. Almost 30 years at church. You know, I'm way past my prime. So as I ride out in the sunset, you know, uh, I'm not retiring anytime soon, as Ralph said. But in the time that the Lord gives me back, my absolute drive, motivation, is to make sure the young guys like Frank, who I know has it, whatever it is, like Mike Kai, I knew he had it. So I poured into Mike Kai's life. And I want you to know, Frank has it. He's, he's sitting here worried because he forgot to pray for the offering this morning. He went right to the slides. We forgive you. He's, he's sitting here sweating. No big deal. We, we, this, is, this is a giving congregation. You know how fortunate we are to live in the United States and then on top of that live in Hawaii? Do you have any? I mean, we live in the most beautiful place on the planet, man. Do you not agree? Having been to the Dominican Republic seven times, I see poverty. Like, I mean, they literally live. Like that man said, they prayed for the food, but there wasn't anything at the table. That's the reality. They live, wake up in the morning, what am I going to eat today and where am I going to find it? We are, you know, what, what much, the word says, when much is given, much is required. And I want you to know, it is mind-blowing how generous this church is. It is. It, bl it blows our mind here. I mean, we are not a, we are not a rich congregation. You know, we're, we're not living in Kahala. You know, we are all working, hard-working people here. But, you know, when we set out churches, I mean, we just pour into those people. And we did here with compassion. 450 kids were adopted. Now, there's 200 packets still out. In, and the blue card needs to come back if you have that. So either the blue card needs to come back or the packet so we can give it to somebody else. And we have about 90 left. So if you weren't able to be with us last week or you were still praying about it, they're still available. They'll be right outside when they came in. When I met with Peter just before he left, the guy that spoke last week, and he was just stunned that a church of our size, which on a good weekend would be about 2,500 people. I mean, at Easter, of course, there was, you know, 3,500. But on a, on a normal weekend, it's about 2,000, 2,500 people come through and, and are discipled here. And to, to give away, and our goal is 700. They didn't even believe it. 700, there's no way I'm giving you 700. And Carl goes, no, you give this congregation 700. So we're very close to that. So I just want to thank you on behalf of the staff that you had taken out of yours. Uh, dear friends of ours, uh, mine in this, in the 10, 30, 11 o'clock service now is uh, Vic and Anne Marie, and they have three small kids. And those kids came running up to us last week, my wife and I go, I got a new brother. I got a new sister. I mean, what, a, what an attitude to have, huh? That they intend to really write the letters, to interact with those kids on a on as regular basis as they possibly can to make sure that they're affecting those kids' life in another country. That's awesome, isn't it? Well, Pastor Ralph and Pastor Carl are in the Ukraine. The U the, how do you say that, Carl? Ukraine. Ukraine. Let's get that right. Ukraine. How many know where the UK is? Well, go to a map and you can put your finger right on the Ukraine right now. How many could do that? That's good for you because I couldn't. I had to go Google it. Where in the heck is that? Put that map up if you would, please. Yeah, former Soviet Union. You know, so you're thinking, you know, it, it's bordered by Moldova, Romania, Russia, Poland. 
And uh, you can show some pictures why I talk. Because I thought dreary and gray. How many thought that? Dreary, dreary, gray place? Not so. It's a beautiful place. That's where Carl and Ralph are right now. It's their good fortune to be there. It's also my good fortune, too. Every once in a while when they leave, I get to preach. So they're there. They're, they're at a pastor's conference talking to the other pastors of the world. And if you're new here or haven't been around, you know, kind of fresh around here, I just want you to know you're a part of a movement, a Hope Chapel movement that Ralph started back, Pastor Ralph started back in the, in the early 70s. Today in, in Hawaii, when this church started 30 years ago, we, in this, from this church, we've either started or had a very influential part in starting 40 churches in this island. We've started another 20 in Japan, and worldwide has to be over between daughter, granddaughter, and great-granddaughter churches, well over 1,000 churches in our movement. We desire our passion in the very depths of our DNA on our bloodline at Hope Chapel is to reproduce the church, and it's very important. Also, reproduce leadership. And maybe some of you in this room, you feel absolutely a call the Lord's put on your heart to be in the ministry, and that's what we do as pastors, to make sure we can disciple you. So, you know, that we, uh, we thank you for allowing Pastor Ralph and Carl to go and allowing us to preach. So that's where we're at. So if you open your Bibles, everybody good about that? So if you came here this morning going, darn, it was raining and cold, and Pastor Carl's not even here. Why did I wake up so early? Thanks for coming. Okay, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. We haven't been there in a while. We're in a great study through the book of 1 Corinthians that Paul wrote to a church that he started. And as you get to, let me just give you a background. He had started this church two years prior, and he's writing back to the church and letting them know, you know, this is some, there's some issues going on in the church. And he's writing back to them and saying, hey, this is the way you need to handle those situations, like marriage and division and some other things that was going on in the church. But let me just tell you who Paul's writing to. He's try, writing to a church in Corinth. It's in Greece. And Greece at that time had been becoming very much a secular society, trying to push God out and allowing them to take more of a, they felt like, you know what, God's good for you, but you know, we around here, we're, we're very smart people. And it was a very wealthy community. You know, they, they, they believed in their intellect. They believed in their ability to raise their, their economy. They, they believed in themselves. They also believed in their athletic prowess. It was an amazing thing back then because in Corinth, there was a famous game, the Ishmael games was going on. We know that from secular history that during that time of Paul that there was a very important games that happened every two years. And also in Athens, what happened in Athens every four years? The Olympics. And if you read, if they, you sit down in the evening news and at that time and you're watching the news, they'd be seriously talking about their athletes and their politicians and their smart people. Does it remind you of anywhere you might live today? Does it not sound like it? So Paul's writing to the Christians in this church, and he's also writing to us. So when we read the word today, we're not just reading, you know, we're not talking about history here. We're talking about something that absolutely applies to our life, and the Lord would want to speak to that. So before we get going, let me just pray for us right now. Let's just calm our hearts. I did this on Friday night, so everybody take a deep breath. Keep it there, keep it there. Okay, slowly let it out. Let's do it one more time. Deep, go ahead and really deep. Hold it, hold it right there. Okay, slowly let it, let's, let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning, Lord. Lord, we, all of us, life is racing by us. 
There's so much going on, so much pressure, so much stress, Lord, and we want to leave that at your feet right now. And if we've walked in here with any burdens, Lord, if there's anything that is weighing us so heavily that it's, not even, it's almost possible to hear you or hear your voice this morning, Lord, we agree with you. It says leave it, leave it at your feet. Give it to you, and we give it to you right now in Jesus' name. And by that power of the Holy Spirit, I pray you take it, Lord. Lord, and I pray that this morning that we would learn to love you more deeply, to know you more intimately, to serve you more passionately, Lord, and to hear your voice more clearly. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I got a question for you. If money was no object and you couldn't fail, what would you love to do? And how many would say they're doing that right now? You don't have to raise your hand. You did raise your hand. Wow. Awesome. She's proud. She wakes up every morning, can't wait to go to work. That's me, by the way. I'm sure it's Frank. I don't tell anybody, but I'd pay them to do this job. <laughs> Somehow they, pay, they get a paycheck. That's true. You know, 26 years ago when I took this job, by the way, I was driving down Call Hill really praying about taking this job because that's me now that I've separate from my father-in-law and our company. We had a construction company, and we, did, we, did, uh, we worked on the bases, remodeled houses. I was driving down Call Hill, and I said, Lord, this is a big one. Do you want me to take this job? And, and he clearly told me back then. He sa- I mean, I literally heard a voice say to me in my head, I want you to take the job. And by the way, my job back then was making payroll for, for the 25 crew we had. How many know making payroll every Friday for 25 people is not the easiest thing? Because you got to do all the collecting of money and you got to do all. Not an easy thing in my, and back there in the, in the late 70s. And the Lord clearly told me, you'll never have to worry. You'll never th- worry about your paycheck again. That's all. I, I remember that. I go, what? That's a lot. You know what? I have no idea when I get paid. It comes across, Carrie puts it across my computer, but in 26 years, I have never, ever thought, oh, wait, when's pray day? And see, that was God's work in my life. That, that is God's absolutely holding true to his word. But I love my job. I love working with Frank and the rest of you guys. I mean, you guys are, have enriched my life. I look at Sam and Joe. Oh, my gosh, they have ripped, you've enriched my life. And I look back with Ron and Patience back there. Awesome. Herb and Leisha. I mean, I go around this room. Barbara and Marcia. Oh, my gosh. Bruce. I had a great time in Europe with Bruce. Oh, you know, Marty. Oh, I could go around this room. I look at every one of you guys. You've enriched my life. That's the beauty of church. And that's what we're going to be talking. That's who Paul, I mean, that's what Paul's talking to the Corinthian church. He's writing back and go, I love you guys. Listen to his voice. Listen to his heart. This is so important to hear Paul's heart here. This is, this is a person, Paul, a person who hated the church, grew up a strictest of strict Jews, strictest of Jews. Anything that was away from the Jewish religion, which the people who believed in Christ back then were as far away from his, he was killing them. He, he felt that it was his job in life. And he had a lot of power to make sure he pushed the whole notion of Jesus being the Savior out completely of the Jewish community. And he was so touched, touched miraculously touched by Jesus. So profoundly touched that the person he was when he wrote these words was not recognizable to the person he was before when he was killing the Christians. Some of you in this room have been touched so intensely 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, when Jesus came and intersected with your life, the person you were before and the person you are now is not the same. Can anybody relate to that? I surely can. And when we read Paul and you read his words, I want you to hear his heart for us. All these years later, living in a very equal society, trying to understand and grow in our own knowledge of the Lord and allow other people to see God through us. Listen to his words. He reads it. This is from Ephesians, the first chapter. It says, uh, verse 15, it says, Ever since I heard of your strong faith in the Lord and, our, and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you will come to grow in your knowledge of God. You know what it talks about that? He's not talking about, I pray that you just get more facts about me. No. He's talking right there to us, to believers. I pray that you'll experience the revelation of God in your life. The revelation of God in your life. A minute ago, I asked you, what would you do if you couldn't fail and money was no object? What would you do the rest of your life? That's the revelation God wants to give you. Because if you're going to make a career change or do something different when you really pray those things through, don't you want God's revelation in there? It says this. It says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he's called. Who's that? Us, his holy people, so that they'll be rich in his glorious inheritance. And here's a key right here. And I also pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in a place of honor at the right hand of God. That we, his children, had the same power available to us as at the same price, the power that Father used to raise Christ from dead. Now, I know it's, it's virtually impossible to get your mind around that, isn't it? That, that we would have the ability to change circumstances. But it's what the Word says. So when we look in the Word today, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. When we look in the Word today, I want you to know what Paul's talking about for us to do. His charge for us today is to be, to love people as is. That's our saying, slogan around here. Just to love people as is. To be all things to all men. He's, he's going he's to implore us to do that today. And by the way, on our own strength, that's almost impossible. With all the things running through life, all our own desires and ambitions, our own needs and our own wants, and to say, wait, put all that aside and just serve others? Wait, wait no. Sorry, that, no. You know what I'm saying? But with Lord's strength and his power, that means no matter where we are, what situation we're in, we can change the circumstances for those people. And that's the imploring, that, that's, what, that's what our charge for Paul is today. Look what it says. And by the way, I love this saying, you cannot pass on what you don't possess. Let me say that again. You cannot pass on what you don't possess. So, this is a faith issue. You have to believe with every ounce of your fiber and your being that because God is in your heart, you have the ability and the power to help change other people's circumstances. Are you with me on that? And you can't pass on what you don't possess, so you have to believe that with all your heart. Let's say when you walk into a situation, 
in your workplace or at home, and the Lord's giving you an assignment to change someone else's life and come alongside the other person to meet those people's need. That means you come alongside with the power it takes to change that situation. Are you with me? Okay, let's read the word. We're in chapter 9, and we're in verse 19, and Paul picks it up here. And Paul is, the whole verse, the whole chapter of 9, spent several weeks with us, we were in it, Paul was, uh, Pastor Carl was talking about that. And basically the theme of chapter 9 is Paul gives up his complete rights, his own rights to serve others. And this is what it says here in verse 19. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people so that I might bring many to Christ. What a, what a, what a verse. It says, even though I'm a free man with no master, I have become a slave, a slave. That means he's given up his, all his rights as a person, which is an amazing thing when you think about what, what Paul just said. Because here's Paul. Paul is, was a rabbi in the Pharisees. He was schooled under one of the most famous teachers there is in Jewish, on Jewish law. I mean, he was somebody. I mean, when he walked down the street, when he was killing the Christians in Acts, he walked down the street, people, man, they got out of their way. He just walked down. Mind me, when I was a kid in the Catholic Church, the Monsignor, the main guy that was in our area, was at our church. And I was in my little town of Montrose, California one day when I was a kid. And he walked down the street. And I, literally people would go walking back, you know, kind of do that bow and shake his hand. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. I go, whoa, this guy's somebody. That's Paul. He was somebody. And he's also, then, then he comes, Christ touches him so, so intensely, so strongly, that he now becomes one of the, Christ's strongest followers, and he becomes a church planter. He becomes an apostle. So he, you know, being a, you know, your pastor Ralph. I mean, he, he's, I mean, how many of us would be asked to go to the Ukraine to speak? I mean, Ralph's somebody. You know, he, he, he has, he has opportunities to speak worldwide because of his passion for church planting and changing the kingdom. He's somebody. That was Paul. He was an apostle. In verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Am I not an apostle? And not only that, he's the founder of the church we're reading. You know, he's, he's the founding pastor. You know, so, and he says, you know what, I'm, I'm giving all that up. None of that matters. None of that matters. All I want to be is my eyes focused on helping other people. How many know that life is choices? Well, I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I say this. You want to have a great marriage? choose, I mean, make right choices. Because life is choices. It is. We wake up in the morning and we choose to love our spouse. We choose that. We can wake up in the morning and go, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you so much for the person that has, that's with me. Thank you for blessing me that much. We can say that. Or we could say, oh, Lord, is there anyone else how do you think that's going to work out for you that day? Oh, Lord, thank you for my boss. Thank you for this business. Thank you for my teacher. Or, oh, gosh, i got to go see to that classroom again. Oh, no. Oh, that boss, those workers there. Oh, no. We choose to do that, right? And Paul's saying, I'm choosing to put everybody that comes in my path today ahead of me. That's why he says that. And look what he says. In, in, in the next verse, it says this. When I am with the Jews... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's hard to read my Bible from up here. It says, when I read, get, get that fixed, Frank. The light's not right. It says, when I'm with the Jews, I live like the Jews. 
to bring those to Christ. So in other words, when I'm with the Jews, you know, I respect their way of life. I used to be that way, Paul's thinking. I, you know, they eat kosher. There are certain things they do. I'm going to be just like them. I want them to know that I care about them. It says this, when I'm with those who follow the Jewish law, I too live under the law. So even though I'm not subject to the law, that I will do what it takes to bring those people to Christ, even though I'm not under the law. You know, so here's a Jew. They, he talks about the Jewish people. And then there's, there's the ultra-conservative Jew, which is a person who absolutely follows the Jewish law. The Jewish laws are written in the first five books of the Bible you have in your hands right now. There's 613 laws. And it talks about how to eat, how to dress, how to have a relationship, how to take care of your lives. I mean, everything. It, it's, and there's, we are in Israel. I was fortunate to go with some of the folks of this church to Israel in October. It was awesome. And we went through one of these ultra-conservative districts. Man, it was like, wow. Right out of way back, right, Bruce? It was like crazy. You know, I mean, they literally live by the law. I mean, even though they live in a Jewish state, most of people, by the way, just get real here. It's interesting. Most people are, all the Israeli folks love the idea of being a Jew. They just love being Jews. God, not so much. But they love being a Jew. Most people, most of the Jewish folks in Israel are not, they don't go to temple. Most of them don't. But there are some very conservative they wouldn't even dream of not. I mean, it is their life. Reading the scriptures for the men all day long is what they do. And here, let me give you an example. We, we happen to have been there on a very, very famous feast week, uh, celebration of festival week there. I couldn't tell you what it was. Do you remember what it was, Bruce? I don't either. So listen, it doesn't matter. But there's a lot of people in this town. And in the hotel we're in, people from all over the world came, Jews, that came to go to synagogue that week. It was very important that they would be in the synagogue that week, whatever that was. And we happened to have been there on the Sabbath, which is from sundown Friday to sun, sun, sundown um, on Saturday. And let me tell you how orthodox some of, the, some of these folks are. There were six elevators. The hotel's full. Five of them were considered the, the, the Sabbath uh, elevators, and it stopped at every single floor. Why do you think it stopped at every single floor? Anybody. Can't hit the buttons. Because why? That would be work. Okay, so you got a picture there? So when Paul's there, when he's hanging out with the Jewish people who love the Jewish law, he acted like them. And he all goes on to say this. He goes, when I'm with the Gentiles too, I fall, uh, when I'm apart, <laughs> when I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from the law so that I can bring to Christ, so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And when I'm with the weak, I share in their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone so that I can save some. I do everything to spread the good news and to share in its blessing. What is the law of Christ? It says, I don't ignore the law, but I obey the law of Christ. Thinking that through, processing that? Well, let me tell you the answer to that. It's in Matthew. It says this. I got my notes all wrecked up here. It's in Matthew 22. It says this, Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. 
The second and equally important, hear that one? Equally important. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. Who's your neighbor? Don't say it out loud. Just think it, process it in your mind. Who is your neighbor? Now, I bet a lot of us said everyone. That is not the right answer. So the answer I always gave until one of the famous theologians around here who moved to the mainland, Paul Bryant, came up racing after a sermon. Rob, 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 you didn't get that right. Because it's a little different. He goes, your neighbor is not every anybody. It's, it's not everybody. It's anybody. You see the distinction there? I'm going to tell you what it is. You can't possibly love everybody. All those folks that we saw in the Philippines, all the people around the world, that's not, it's impossible for you to love them. But he's not, he's not talking about everybody. He's talking about anybody. And what the Lord's saying is, the greatest commandment, the law of Christ is, to love anyone I put in front of you. Does, you understand what I'm saying? Your family members, the people you work with, the person right on the counter, the person driving in front of you very slowly, lost, look on their phone, wondering where they're at, almost cut you off. You know, so what, another way of saying it would be, when I go to work, I take care, I, I take to interest the needs of the people around me at work. I look for ways to respect them and get in their lives. That's what Paul would tell us. I look for ways to pray for them because I have the power to change their situation. Did you hear me? I'm in a family gathering. I want to make sure everyone there, I care for them. Even the person that's the least liked in this room, I'm going to make sure I go to them and care for them and love them and look in their eyes and listen and care for them. Do you know when we move in, well, the Lord's telling us to move into situations that are, not, that are awkward, they're not comfortable. That we need the power of the Holy Spirit to come along with us. That's what, and then Paul, remember, in Ephesians says, I give you that. So when you walk in the room, because the Holy Spirit's in us, we have the ability to change anyone's situation, and we have the courage to move into that room. Are you hearing me? That's what Paul's imploring us this morning. Be, take other people's interests more important than ours. Now I have homework. I give homework when I teach. And here's your homework. By the way, I hope you have your notes and your writing or you've got your phone on and you're on your memo part, your notes part, here is your homework. And I'm serious about this. Some of you guys are looking at me like, forget it, Rob, I have no idea of doing homework. Here's your homework. I'm serious because I'm going to be praying. I'm going to have Frank with me, praying with me too this week that the Lord puts a situation, an assignment in your life that allows you to stretch beyond what you thought was capable and that you would be a slave to that person to meet that person's need. In other words, that you would get out of your own selfish ambition, your own desires, your own self, which we are all at at all times anyhow, aren't we? And that we would, somebody, the Lord would put a, an opportunity in our lives that we could change someone else's life by the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Because that's what Paul's teaching this morning. We're going through a chapter-by-chapter chapter study through the first of Corinthians, and that's where we find ourselves this morning, and Paul's imploring his children who are, who? Us to make sure that when we wake up in the morning, our responsibility is to make the needs and serve those around us that we will see that day. You understand what I'm saying? But then Paul says, you know what? 
I know what I've just asked you to do is extremely difficult. He says that. He's, he's going to tell us that right now. What I've asked you to do, I know goes against the, your nature, the grain of your life. I know it is. So this is what he says. He goes on and says this. He uses a metaphor. He says, don't you realize that in the race, everybody runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. And by the way, just so you know, what, he, what he's talking to right now, he's talking about a world-class athlete. We're not talking about a guy like me that goes run. Okay, we're going to do a little run walking, you know. I'll run about a halfway down the block, and I'll walk the rest. And then I'll run, I'll walk the rest. No, he's not talking about those guys. He's talking about world-class athletes of disciplining themselves. That's what he's comparing us to. He wants us to understand. He says, all athletes are disciplined to run, to train. They do it to win the prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So run with purpose with every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I love that. He says, run with every purpose. I'm just not shadow boxing. I mean, I have purpose. I wake, I know what I'm doing. I'm driven to do it today. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, trained to do it at, at, for what it should. I remember when my wife... Uh, a bunch of years ago, my wife quit work. I said, you know what? You could quit. And she got, she re- literally went. The day she quit, the next morning, she went paddling for the very first time. You know, six-man paddling. She, and she, in about an hour, was hooked. I mean, not a little bit hooked. We're talking about seriously hooked on paddling. So much so that she decided that she wanted one of the seats on the race from Molokai to Hawaii on the big race. You know, th- th- she would just join this team. She literally joined that day. And there was, you know, a whole bunch of women on the team, and you had to earn your seat to go. They took 10 people, and there was like 25 on the team. That day she goes, never paddled before in her life. I'm going to make that team. I-, I never forget it. I never saw her for the next four months. I have no idea what she did. No, that's not true. But I will say this. She had to dedicate herself. I mean, the way she ate, what she did, how she organized her day. Because she's still raising, we were just raising, still had babies and raising kids, and I worked too. So, and she trained every second she had an opportunity. Every second. And you know what Paul's telling us this morning is? Everything with purpose. Stay focused. That's what he's saying. Stay focused. Don't allow the enemy to get in and just part, start throwing things at How many people, when I said if, you, if, you wanted, if money was no object, you couldn't fail, what would you love to do? I promise you that the last thing the enemy wants you to have is the answer to that question. Because he'd much rather at, we live our lives in a reactive. Whatever comes at us, that's how we react. And when you're doing that, you have actually, the Lord, the enemy has control of your life. You don't. And so many of us, that's, that's the nature of life. And Paul's saying, be focused. Look what it says here. It says this in, uh, in Proverbs 4. I love this. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse speech. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on that path and don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from evil. I love that verse. The heart. 
is the very core, the heart we're talking about here is the very core of your being. It's what makes you, you. You know, the, in this room, there's probably 250 of us in this room right now. How many people do you think are alike? Of course, not one. We don't even look alike. We, have, we are unique in every way. You know, we have our own voice print, our own fingerprint, our own eye print. We're different. We have our own heartbeat that, both, that beats both physically and emotionally like no one on the planet. There's things you care deeply about that the person next to you couldn't care less about. I mean, I love to golf. Some of you see it as a complete waste of a walk. You know, I mean, there are. You know, some people just love to work on computers. I can barely turn it on. You know, every one of us is different. And God's saying, that uniqueness is you, guard it. Guard it no matter what, guard it. For it determines the course of your life. And the Lord, and what Paul's saying, and what David said in Proverbs said, hey, guard that baby. And it said, stay on the straight path. Because God's saying, hey, I have, a, I, have a, I have a plan for you. I have a plan for tomorrow. When you wake up tomorrow morning with your assignment from me, God has that plan in mind right now. But guess what you have to be? Attentive to it. Stay focused on it. That's what God said. And you know what? He says, then we get the eternal prize. Remember what he said that? We don't, we don't race for a prize that's going to fade away. We get one that's eternal. Here's my thoughts on this. This is Rob's thoughts. I've read a lot about people who have had near-death experience and been to heaven. There's quite a few stories out there, but here's my thought. You know that assignment you're going to have this week, and you have the ability to touch that person's life? You might even lead that person to the Lord. Someday when you go to be with the Lord, guess who's showing up with you that day to meet you and greet you? That person. Isn't that amazing? I believe that with all my heart. Because, you know, most of us, when I ask the question, what would you do with the rest of your life if you had no worries, no failure? Most of you said, oh, let's see. I'm going to travel the world, quit my job tomorrow. That's a natural. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. But I think it has to be to, to glorify God, though. You know, can't be, I'm going to make a million dollars. I'm going to win the lottery. No. The Lord said, because you know what? By the way, if you win the lottery, what can you do with that money? Can't take it with you probably caused you enough grief. And, yeah, you know, it's amazing what's happened with those with the people who's won that lottery. Somebody just won $600 million. What are you going to do with $600 million? Seriously. You know, how many, you know, they did a survey about the people who won the lottery. You know, the first 25 that won all that money, how many of you think have still got that money? Like three. They all lost it. A couple of them committed suicide. You be, you're going to find out how many friends you have. You win 100 $100 million, guess how many friends you're going to have tomorrow? A lot. All trying to take that money from you. But you know what the Lord says? You can't take that with you, but you can take the lives that you touch. And that's what Paul's talking about today. He said, love people just the way they are. And he finishes this, very important, he finishes the scripture this morning. It says this. says, I fear after preaching to others that I might also be, that I might be disqualified. That's how he ends that statement. 
And here's what he's saying. He goes, I've got to keep sure I've got myself disciplined. I'm staying disciplined like an, like an athlete. What does that mean? That As a Christian, that would mean that we're really making... Everybody's goal at the beginning of the year, I guarantee you, oh, I'm going to read the word more this year. How many people said that? Am I gonna, this year, I'm going to read the word more. How many put that on their goal sheet? I'm sure everybody in this room. How's that working out for you? Because the enemy wants to make sure that doesn't happen. But like he said, an athlete staying focused, being disciplined as you can be, eating the right things, being in the word. So that you can hear the revelation from God. Remember what we said, Paul said in Ephesians, the first chapter, that you would understand the insight and knowledge that God wants to bring. You're in the word. He's going to speak to you through his word. That you're spending time in prayer. That's what he said. That you would really understand that the enemy, you're in a war. Every day you wake up, you're in a war. And that you're willing to take on that battle. And that's what Paul's saying. I want to make sure I'm not disqualified. I don't want to do something that, you know, like if you were going to work, oh, you know, all the boys are going to go to the strip club tomorrow night. Hey, you want to come? Yeah, I better go because I want to lead them to Christ. Wrong answer. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That you would let your weakness down and try to justify our actions. You know, I was going over the hill, and I really didn't mean to cut that person off, but he was going so slow, and he was on his phone, and I was just so irritated. And I got so impatient, so I had to cut him off. But maybe I can lead him to the Lord tomorrow. You know, the other thing that I, I struggled with this the most, impatience. Anybody here impatient? I, big time, I'm an impatient guy. And I'm really, I mean, I pray every day, Lord, take this impatient away. I'll tell you who else is praying for that. Who do you think is? Yeah, my wife. <laughs> but I am an impatient guy. I'm driven guy. You know, I don't know exactly where I'm going, but trust me, I'll run you over to get there. There's three types of people in this world. Those who watch things happen, those who wonder what happened, and those who make things happen. And that's what Paul's saying today. Make it happen. Make it happen. Don't just wonder what happened. Paul said, be sure, like a world-class athlete, be trained, be disciplined to know that the Lord's going to give you an assignment to do regularly and be attentive to that. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray for this congregation sitting right before me this morning, Lord, that you would download their assignment this week, that they'd be so attentive to your, your word, Lord, so attentive to your assignment, so clear of your voice that they would know exactly what to do. And, Lord, when they're confronted with that assignment, they would have the courage that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would give them the gifts they need, the confidence, the boldness to pray for those people wherever they're at, Lord. Because, Lord, your word says... That when, that you, we have the same power that raised Christ from the dead available through your Holy Spirit in us, Lord. And I pray that that's what happens this week, Lord. And I pray, Lord, there are people in this congregation who, Lord, probably could use a real touch from you right now. And I pray that you would touch them, Lord, maybe relationally, physically, Lord, financially, emotionally, Lord, that you would touch them right now, right where they sit, that you would personally reach down from heaven Wrap your arms around that situation and comfort them. Give them, Lord, your word says it's a peace that surpasses all understanding, that they would flood their heart right now, that they would tangibly feel your presence in their life right now. And for those in this room who have never come to a place where they would have the ability to have that power because they have that power that the Holy Spirit wants to give you, you have to say, Lord, you are mine.
I want you, I want you to be the Lord of my life. And if that's you right now, I want to pray for you. But I want to know who I'm praying for. So with your eyes closed right now, if there's anybody in this room who wants to have the touch of God in their life, I just want you to raise your hand right now so I know who I'm praying for. Go ahead and raise it right now. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name and by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would come into our lives right now, that you'd forgive our sins, that you would make yourself so known to me by the word and by other believers that I couldn't help but just fall on my knees and thank you like Paul did on the road to Damascus. Lord, thank you. Come into my life. And I pray that you'd change my life, Lord, like never before, that you'd take away those old habits that hold me back. Lord, that I would experience you in ways that I never even dreamed possible, Lord, that you'd guide me and protect me in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thank you.